Trevor Story to the San Francisco Giants. John Heyman of MLB Network tweeting out this morning that uh, the Giants are in play for Trevor Story and that he is expected to make a decision soon. So we'll talk about that and get to a bunch of your mailbag questions on today's Locked on Giants. You are Locked on Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked on Giants, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on the show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thanks for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. So check us out there if you have not already. And hello to those of you watching on YouTube. We also are available wherever you get podcasts. Anyway, coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about Trevor Story. We're going to talk about whether the Giants are going to sign a $100 million contract at some point in the next three years. We're going to get to a lot of your questions for this uh, mailbag edition of the show. First question comes from Borden Ghost, who asks, any chance of signing Trevor Story or Nick Castellanos to a short-term deal? So credit to Borden Ghost for asking this question before this report this morning by John Heyman. So what Heyman tweeted out was, quote, uh, superstar shortstop Trevor Story choosing one of four teams soon. Giants, Red Sox, and two others remain in mix, prioritizing winning apparently considering a short-term positional move if necessary. So that just screams giants when you're talking about, uh, it's unclear to me when he says short-term positional move, if he means a long-term deal that includes moving positions temporarily in the short term, or a short-term deal that that also includes a positional move. I think either way you can say that this, when Heyman frames it that way, that it would make sense that the Giants would be interested. They obviously don't have an opening at shortstop, but they conceivably do at other positions on the field, notably second base and in the outfield. I think in the short term, you're talking about second base because Tommy LaStella is rehabbing from offseason Achilles surgery. I think he's not going to be out that long to start the year, but probably going to miss some time. And the other thing is they've got a DH now. And so LaStella coming off Achilles surgery, not a very good defender anyway. Could you have him DH against right-handed pitching and have Trevor Story as kind of an everyday guy out there? I think that makes some sense. That would allow you potentially to have a Jock Peterson, uh, Mike Yastrzemski, Lamont Wade Jr. outfield in some order. Those three all have experience playing center field at times. So it would just be up to them who would play there. And then that would kind of move Steven Duggar into more of a a utility role. Apparently, he has a minor league option, even though roster resource is saying that he doesn't. But I've been told that he does have a minor league option. So that would just be something to watch there. But as it is now, they kind of project to have Duggar as a starter. And I think that that's not really the exact type of depth that they want. But what's a little bit confusing about all this is that Farhan Zaidi met with reporters yesterday and said that they 
feel that their position player mix is pretty set. He did say that they wouldn't rule out making additions. It would just have to be the right fit. And I think that Trevor Story switching positions potentially on a short-term deal is definitely a fit. There's really no other way to put it. So the story about Trevor Story, didn't even mean to say that, but the story on Story is that he is a elite base runner. He has elite speed. He's historically been an elite defensive shortstop, although uh, he had elbow issues last year, which tanked his kind of shortstop numbers from at least outs above average, had him at like first percentile and 99th percentile in his last full season. So the health on the elbow remains a critical factor. And he's also done much better against left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching. So I don't know exactly. He's kind of hard to project moving forward, especially if he's changing positions. But there's just no doubt that he would add something to a team like the Giants and make them better. And if he's willing to go short term, then I just see no reason why this would not be an attractive option for the Giants. So the other thing is like, okay, hitters trying to reestablish value. You don't normally think of them coming to San Francisco, but he has to have seen playing with the Rockies, playing the Giants 19 times a year, the improvements of veteran players like Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, and then the breakout performances of guys like Yastrzemski, Ruff, Wade Jr., Duggar improving across the board, offensive improvement. So if you can kind of sell him on your uh, coach's ability to make you the best player you can be, and then you can maybe re-enter the market and you've also added positional versatility to your, you know, the back of your baseball card, for lack of a better term, and then re-enter the market that way, it could be an attractive package. And so you know, we're just going to constantly refresh Twitter until we have a resolution on this. But it is definitely noteworthy uh, that this is what John Heyman tweeted out today. So coming up next, the question is going to be, will the Giants sign a free agent to a contract worth $100 million or more in the next three seasons? So stay tuned for that answer. But first, It's that time of year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. Marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Sounds delicious, right? What does this have to do with eating healthy? Well, most Built Bars contain just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, which is really important to me, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Alrighty, as promised, we are going to continue answering your questions. Will the Giants ever uh, sign a free agent worth $100 million or more, or at least in the next three years? We're going to talk about that next. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Lockdown MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. 
So yeah, the next question comes from Adam, who asks, will Farhan sign a free agent to a contract worth $100 million or more in the next three seasons? And then I'm going to tie this in with J.D. Young, host of Locked on Sharks. Check out that show, by the way, who asks, are the Giants ever going to make that big splash signing? Related question, yeah. And then Carson Devine asks, chances of Giants waiting till next year to go crazy with Judge, Aaron Judge in mind, and Luciano, Marco Luciano in the wings. So these are all a related question. And I'm just going to go right out ahead and say I do think that the Giants make a, you know, sign a free agent to a hundred million or more contract in the next three years. Yeah. And, you know, we even heard yesterday from Farhan Zaidi when he met with reporters, essentially that the the report that the Giants weren't willing to go over a hundred million for anyone, first of all, it's just like an arbitrary number, right? Like, okay, they'll go 99 million, but a hundred million, they won't do it. Of course, they don't think in those terms, right? But what Zaidi said, this is courtesy of Susan Slusser, he was specifically asked about this, and he said, in terms of them not being willing to go over $100 million, quote, that's just not the case. And he goes on to say, there is an element of that incremental approach in what we do, but that doesn't mean that there aren't players getting big contracts that we would love to have and that we were involved with. So... Uh, Alex Pavlovich has a different version of that quote who says, that's just not the case. We've had a lot of conversations with pitchers and position players above that amount. It hasn't worked out. So interesting, right? And I tend to believe when you say something like that, why would you say something like that and then and have it be not true? I guess because maybe you want to appease the fans. But if you just end up never signing any of those guys, it's not going to appease the fans. It's just going to tick them off even more. So I believe it. I think they were probably in on Max Scherzer. He ended up getting a bonkers contract with the Mets. I don't blame the Giants for not really exceeding what the Mets offered. He ended up getting, what, $43 million per season over three years? I would imagine, yeah, forty three point three. 3 million over three years, 130 million total. Uh, I would imagine the Giants were probably willing to go, I don't know, 105 or more on Max Scherzer over a short term. So when we look at pitchers who got 100 million or more, it was Kevin Gosman, Robbie Ray, and Max Scherzer. So I would, the fact that Gosman said they never made him an offer tells me that it was Scherzer when when Zaidi's saying there were pitchers and position players they've been in talks with above that number and it just didn't work out. And on the position player side, guys who've received more than $100 million, Freddie Freeman, 162 over six years from the Dodgers. Javier Baez gets 140. Corey Seager, 325. Marcus Simeon, 175. And uh, Chris Bryant, 182. So I would imagine maybe Marcus Simeon and maybe Freddie Freeman. I know it's like hard to see exactly how he would fit, given they have belt. But he's just such a difference-making player that I think you figure it out. And even the Dodgers, when they announced the Freeman signing, they they called him an infielder. They didn't call him a first baseman. And I threw out the crazy idea that maybe Freeman could play some second base. It might sound crazy. He's played a little bit of third base very briefly in the past. And 
you know, belt assigned to a one-year deal. And so you could have Freeman play some second base, uh, play some DH, even though I think he's uh, a pretty good defensive first baseman. You find a way to make it work. Anyway, these are the type of difference-making players. We just don't know what how involved they were with these players. And Zaidi also made the point when a, when a big free agent signs, he's signing with one team and 29 teams didn't get him. And so even if you make an offer, even if you make the best offer, there's no guarantee that the player chooses you. And so the Giants and their fans, I understand being frustrated by that. They've been kind of spurned before John Lester choosing the Cubs, which by the way, I mean, they're probably, they probably dodged a bullet a little bit with that contract. And so many others. Carlos Lee comes to mind randomly choosing, I think, the Astros over the Giants. There have been others, plenty of others. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton and more. I'm kind of blanking on the others, trying to block it out of my memory. But yeah, I think that they'll make a significant move. Like, And Adam, you also pointed out on Twitter, and I think it's a great point, that a lot of the moves the Dodgers have made have been trades. And the Mookie Betts acquisition was a trade, and then they extended him. Trey Turner was acquired in a trade. Max Scherzer acquired in a trade. They got Manny Machado in a trade. You Darvish in a trade. So part of the formula, I believe, is maintaining the financial flexibility to add players at you know whatever time, just like how the Giants were able to add Chris Bryant. If you're a team that goes right up against what ownership is telling you is the budget and you can't make a big acquisition, it becomes a problem. So if you have a little bit of payroll kind of space between where you are and where ownership is willing to go, it allows you to make acquisitions at any point throughout the calendar course of the year via trade. And then you can always extend those guys. And that's how the Dodgers have acquired a lot of their talent. And I would expect that the Giants, by maintaining financial flexibility and also having a perennially good farm system that's key as well because you can part with players to get a Chris Bryant without severely damaging your farm system and you also for the right opportunities can give up a really good prospect and get elite talent like a Mookie Betts uh so that's that and I so I just I think that yes they're not just going to be you know the Oakland A's of the you know west in the bay I think that they're going to act more like the Dodgers as time goes on. And I have to point out, too, that before the Dodgers got Mookie Betts, which was just a couple of years ago, their fans were saying the same stuff that Giants fans are saying now, that they're too cheap and they act like a small market team and they're a big market team and they need star players. And they were continuously winning divisions and going deep into the playoffs, even going to the World Series, and fans were still frustrated and only recently have they made a few of these major kind of acquisitions. So anyway, all of that was kind of a long answer to say, I do. I, I continue to expect this team to be competitive year in and year out and potentially add really good players when those proper fits come up. So we shall see. That's just my opinion. You might disagree. Call me an optimist. Call me naive. But that's how I see it. So... Coming up next, we're going to talk about the lineup against left-handed pitching uh, and can Jock Peterson get back to his pre-2020 numbers when he was uh, more of an offensive force than he has been in recent years. But first, it's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. 
From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. A lot of baseball action that we're going to be talking about throughout the course of the year. Right now, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, all that stuff up on BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. Are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go? Mission Possible, written and read by New York Times bestselling author and athlete Tim Tebow, encourages you to find your inspiration, pursue your purpose, and create a life for yourself that counts. Ignite a new spark in your life through this inspirational listen. Mission Possible by Tim Tebow is available wherever audiobooks are sold. All right, here we go. We are going to talk about, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> We're going to talk about uh, the lineup against left-handed pitching. They lose Posey to um, retirement. I can't even fathom. It's hard to believe. But uh, And then they lose Chris Bryant, obviously, to the Rockies. We mentioned it yesterday, but didn't go very into it. He signs this crazy deal with the Colorado Rockies. Maybe we'll touch upon that in a minute. And then we'll talk about Jock Peterson as well. So the question comes from Aaron, who says, I don't know if it's a question or more of a talking point, but how does this lineup look against left-handed pitchers? I feel like it's weak, yet they feel completely okay with what they have. They traded for a right-handed hitter last year because they needed one and then lose Posey. So yeah, the point is made that I don't know. I don't remember if that was the thinking that it kind of had to be a right-handed bat. I thought that they ended up being a left-handed bat short. When Brandon Belt went down, they had too many righties in their lineup, and I thought it really hurt them. And so Jock Peterson is that extra left-handed bat. So I think that that helps. But in terms of what do they look like against right uh, left-handed pitching, as they are constructed now, I think Belt and Crawford continue to be out there. They're not just platoon players. So those two are in the lineup. Uh, Longoria also figures to be kind of one of the few everyday guys, as does Joey Bart, although it's going to be more of a timeshare as opposed to maybe a platoon. If Bart struggles, then you might want him to be the guy facing more right-handed pitching and or left-handed pitching, not exposing him so much to tough right-handed pitchers. So those four are probably in the lineup. And then your platoon guys are... Austin Slater, Wilmer Flores, Darren Ruff. And so you're able to throw out a lineup of mostly mostly right-handed hitters with the exception of Belt and Crawford. And so getting the platoon advantage with like each and every spot in the lineup except for two, so seven out of nine spots. Yeah, as I count that, one, two, three, uh, four, five. I'm only counting five so it's hard to kind of look at this. So so basically, let me just go through the lineup. Austin Slater, I think, would lead off and play in center or left or right. Wilmer Flores is going to be in there, whether it's at DH or second base or first base. Probably not first, because as I said, I think Brandon Belt would be in there. Uh, Darren Ruff is going to make an impact, and he's potentially more than just a platoon guy. I think he's shown that he can hit right-handed pitching as well. And then 
as I said, Belt and Crawford and Longoria and Bart. So I do agree with you. I don't think it's weak. I think that it's a lineup that is going to be able to be opportunistic and, you know, by being matchup driven, these guys can all do damage against left-handed pitching. So it's not flashy, but I think that they'll do a lot of damage. I mean, it's basically the same group minus Buster Posey that was so good in the first half of the season. I don't think that as good as Posey is, the Giants were, I think, 65 and 39 at the trade deadline before Chris Bryant ever made his debut. So again, if you think about it in terms of wins above replacement, right? Posey throughout the course of the year in a great year might give you five, six. So in half a year, call it two and a half, three in half a season. So you're not losing maybe as much as fans might think. I You're losing a lot and you're losing like leadership and ability to handle, handle the staff. But just in terms of the lineup against left-handed pitching, I think that those guys can all do damage. And so they'll be okay, at least I would say they're they'll be adequate at least but if you add a trevor story to that mix it would just definitely lengthen it out a little bit i do think it it's not great i don't think it's a great lineup by any means but it's one they're going to be able to squeeze out every last drop of production just remember too they were a good offensive team in 2020 in the short season but they didn't have posey they didn't have bryant they had bart and so it's going to be similar to that against left-handed pitching. And then, of course, the lefty starter comes out at some point, and then you've got La Stella and Jock Peterson and Lamont Wade Jr. coming off the bench. And I think that those guys will make an impact in kind of pinch hit roles and then substituting into the game. And so it's not flashy. It's not Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, but it is it is a lineup capable of getting on base, hitting the ball out of the ballpark, and scoring some runs. And then their pitching staff is pretty darn good. And so I view them as an above 500 team, but certainly they've got, there's definitely room for improvement. I don't see them as a 100-win team at all. I think that everything would have to go right for that to happen. But yeah, so anyway, let's talk about Jock Peterson. The question is from Captain Belt, who asks, can the hitting coaches help get Jock Peterson back to back closer to pre-2020 numbers realistically when he had an OPS plus above 100. I think they definitely can. And comfort probably has a lot to do with it for me. Uh, Being in his home area, being back in the National League West, there's no reason why he can't be more like the guy he was with the Dodgers. It's not like he's 36 years old. He's 29, does turn 30 in April, but still a young Jock Peterson, he was a real force, and I, actually there's an article up on Fangraphs went up yesterday by Dan Zimborski, who says Giants quietly upgrade with Jock Peterson and Matthew Boyd, and it's a really well-written article. I would encourage Giants fans to check it out, and he made the point that if Peterson had hit free agency after the 2019 season, I'm trying to scroll through and see exactly the contract that he said Peterson would have received. I believe he said it was something like four years, $74 million, $75 million was what his projection system zips would have pegged for Peterson if he had reached free agency just a couple of off seasons ago. So the Giants getting him for one year, $6 million, potentially a really big bargain if they can get him back to anything like that level. 
And I think he's going to be comfortable here. The hitting coaches are going to help him. And he's just historically been a guy who just punishes right-handed pitching and he can just settle into that role. He doesn't have to be the centerpiece of the offense. He's just a complementary piece in a lineup full of complementary pieces. And I would imagine he's going to have a better year than he had in 2021 with the Giants in 2022. So anyway, that is all the time we have for today. We we had like 40 questions and they were all good and I only got to like four today. So I'm going to save your questions and we'll we'll roll them over into next week. If the Giants make a major move here in the next uh, couple of days, today, tomorrow, we will have an emergency podcast. So be on the lookout for that as always. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Uh, coming up next week, we'll have the latest from spring training. The Giants play on TV tonight. We'll talk about that and uh, anything else that goes down over the weekend. But now make your second listen today, Locked on MLB. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, brings you his unique perspective on the majors past and present. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out so much. So thank you in advance. And thank you to everyone who's done so already. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Have a great weekend. Stay locked on Giants.